0: I've read three of your novels, um, and I think I read them in the wrong order. (laughs) Um, So the most recent one I read was Afterwards, which I I found really compelling. Um, And just thinking about memory and the different types of memory that sort of crop up uh, within the different characters. Um, But at one point in the novel, and I think it's where um, it's the three women, so you know, grandmother, daughter, um, well, mother and daughter going for a walk and they're, they're talking about um, rehearsing memories mm. and I just found that idea of rehearsed or rich memory as ritual really interesting and I wanted to ask what what is the importance of the ritual of memory in in your writing and particularly in in the family context
1: well I think I wanted to get at that there are um, there are aspects of life which are almost unspeakable um, and 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 um, and that can be very hard. Um, it can be very hard to be in a relationship with somebody who has unspeakable events in their past, um, because there is uh, such an important part of our relationships with other people in our families, lovers, parents, um, is about that sort of ritualization of what we have shared, um, and if we are able, we are able to talk about. The, aspects of our shared experience in ways that we um, have a consensus, yeah. you know, um, about the effect of it on our relationship, then um, it's a reaffirmation of our relationship or of our our love for each other. Um, if um, our versions of the past are conflicting, obviously, then that's a source of conflict. And then if you cannot speak about something because it's... Um, revisiting it is traumatic, um, then it just, the, that silence can be, can can make an unbridgeable gap in a relationship. Mm-hmm. However, it's, you know, in that novel, um, it's actually necessary for Joseph, the Joseph character, yeah. to be silent in order to be able to live with what has happened in his past. Mm-hmm. The revisiting of it has just uh, reopened the wound, because there is no way of escaping from the idea that he was wrong to have done it.
0: Mm. Yeah, and I think I, that relationship, I suppose, between the grandfather who um, was a, it flying bomber planes um, you know, during the Mau Mau rebellion, mm. and then you have Joseph who's a, of a younger generation and he was involved in the Troubles in, in Northern Ireland. Um, and just that relationship and that sort of... Frustrated communication, mm. um, and that particularly powerful scene where Joseph obviously hurls the paint in mm. the wall. I found, I just found that really, mm. um, yeah, really powerful. And
1: I, yeah, I mean, one person's unburdening mm. becomes the un- another person's burden. Yeah. Some people, are, you know, they 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 are not able to take the burden of memory because it it adds to their own. You know that they they are already carrying. And, um, you know, we, th- we need to be mindful of that as well, that uh, memories, um, memories that are less easy to accept uh, sometimes need to be, um, we need to have a certain level of forgetting. Well, it's not forgetting, it's just that, that you don't have to share it, mm-hmm. that it doesn't have to be rehearsed again and again.
0: Yeah and i suppose the, the grandfather in a way takes he shoulders some of the burden for joseph mm, i
1: think he understands yeah. yeah because he does he is a, also a, um you know he has had military experience and although he has come to a point in his life um where he's he's lived in silence with his um i wonder if shame i don't know if shame is the correct word for it but with his discomfort yeah. about um his time in kenya with the RAF he is um when he meets Joseph he sees a kindred spirit in a way and he is at a later stage in his life and there is that if I don't say something now I may never find somebody else again um who has the potential to share this experience with me so he he takes the risk of unburdening but then understands in Joseph's reaction he understands actually uh, you know he wasn't in the same place (laughs) um in in you know in his process and therefore i'm going to shield him that's that's the kindness i think in david's reaction Mm -hmm. is that i'm not going to say he did this awful thing i'm just going to clean up after him and i'm not um i'm not going to uh blame him for what he did
0: and i suppose this is just my own personal curiosity as a reader but how, how do you see Joseph's future as a character? Do, do you think he could reconcile with the people that he's hurt or
1: um, I n- have never answered that question mm. because I think that's a, but I always like being ans- asked that question because and I think I've succeeded as a writer because I have made you wonder. Mm-hmm. and um, my point is, what do you think? Because uh, there are so many yeah. men like Joseph. So many, you know, I met so many in my research, and then I thought, well, it's just it's only exponential, isn't it? So when I was (coughs) interviewing um, the the men, were um, you know they had uh, seen action in the Falklands and in the first Iraq War, and now uh, and in the uh, troubles in Northern Ireland, and um, and the second Iraq War um, has been since, and there's Afghanistan and. You know, so it's, uh, it is exponential, actually. And uh, there are so many uh, men who have that discomfort to live with. I don't like to call it shame because, mm-hmm. I, you know, they are, um, they have done a duty. We do ask, even if we don't, as individuals, consent to it, um, uh, we have, we are part of the country that has sent them to war. And um, so I, I, don't, I don't like to talk about them um, as a carrying a burden of shame, but they do carry discomfort and uh, they do that on behalf of all of us.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so, so um, coming now then to, um, to uh, The Dark Room, which was your, your first novel, I believe. Um, so, I mean, a lot of your writing in general deals with the question of secrets, or I suppose, unspoken memories. Um, and especially those contained within the family. And I I found that particularly interesting with the character of Mika Mm. um, in in that novel. Um, And I was just wondering if you could say a bit more about the relationship between truth or sort of uncovering those unspoken memories and fiction, the act act of writing. (laughs) Big question. That's a very
1: big question. I, I think what I wanted to say with Michael's family... Michael's family were very different from mine because I grew up in a, in a family um, in some ways, biographically, very similar to Micha's. So Michael's grandfather was in the Baffin SS. Um, he was also a, a man who liked to draw and paint. Um, that's very much my um, grandfather. And uh, there was also conflict over... Um, my grandfather's history with my uncle and that's in uh, in Micha's family too however the key difference between my family and Micha's family is my family were always open about my grandparents' past and I never had to do what Micha did in terms of in uncovering um, and asking uh, difficult questions this is knowledge that I grew up with and whenever I had questions I could ask them and um, I I didn't want to just make Mika um, a hero character. It was very interesting that the uh, it, his his quest is I don't see it as um, unquestionably justified. <laughs> his quest to find out the truth. Well, oh, no, it's not justified. it's it, that his approach? Um, I made it deliberately difficult. I made him not necessarily a wholly sympathetic character because um, think just because families don't talk about their past, it doesn't mean they don't think about their past. Mm. Um, and again, we're back to this idea of things being unspeakable. Some things are just too difficult to articulate, mm. but we do um, it's not that they don't prey on our minds. It's not a, a silence doesn't necessarily mean that there is. There is no process going on. And I wanted that to be, you know, in, in Michael's family, um, he meets upon uh, different responses to him wanting to find out the past. And uh, I wanted that there to be a bit of differentiation, mm-hmm. that it's not just Germans never speak about anything, Germans never have never acknowledged their guilt. It had to be a m- more complex picture than that.
0: Yeah, I, I was in a, a workshop yesterday as well actually looking at cultures of commemoration and there was a German historian who was suggesting that precisely in Germany there is this, he said there was a lack of interest in what, their, so for the younger generation there's a lack of interest in what their grandparents did during World War II. Um and I, I don't know if it could be described as a lack of interest or maybe perhaps a sort of a fear of what they might uncover, so in a way it's... It's quite a brave move to be excavating that mm. in, in fiction. But I'm wondering, in, in sort of re-excavating these, these stories from the past, can, can fiction play a role um, in reconciliation for, for families and communities? Um, I
1: think it's a, they can facilitate discussions that would be very, very difficult to have if they're just about personal history. So if, you're, if you find it um, difficult to ask the questions of your family because you're fearful of what you might uncover or because you're fearful of meeting with anger or with trauma, actually, um, then you can entertain the possibility um, through fiction. And you can examine your response. Your responses, if yeah, if that were my grandfather, mm. um, how how would that make me feel? And and I think sometimes, because some parts of history are unspeakable, um, sometimes entertaining the possibility is all we can do, um, as humans, you know. And, and it is actually a kindness in some ways not to confront some people and I'm thinking in, in particularly not on the perpetrator side but on, on uh, the survivor side um, of the holocaust sometimes silence is a, is a real kindness mm-hmm. and that if allowing people to be silent yeah. and um, uh, allowing them the space to speak when they are ready or when they are willing and not insisting Uh, is is very important and fiction can play a role there in that it allows us to imagine where conversation is impossible or conversation would be unkind.
0: And and So to come to your most recent novel then, A Boy in Winter, um, I suppose that's the one that to me stands out as perhaps the most bleak. um, uh, Yeah, there's so much silence and unspoken... Um, not necessarily memories but unspoken situations where the characters have to remain silent mm. um, and I'm just, I'm just wondering sort of what future are you imagining in, in for those characters um, that's interesting
1: that you find it the most bleak and I suppose it's the, uh, the immediacy of the danger in it uh-huh. so it's not that's the one book and I wrote it um, I was drawn to the story of it because I think I've in the past I've always written books that are more reflecting on the past Mm -hmm. at a distance yes and um even the second part of the dark room or the first and second part of it particularly the second part of the dark room it's although the journey is happening in the weeks after the war it is in the weeks after the war and um the girl is finding out about the holocaust retrospectively Mm -hmm. even though it is um you know still quite the, the events are in the very very recent past it's still retrospective and i wanted to examine characters in extremists at the point where the holocaust really began in earnest and um so it is then a tipping point in history at which the holocaust still could not have you know could have not happened yeah. um and uh because there is we we do because we know it happened Often there is a sense that there was it was inevitable in a way. That's um, the, or the the motor of it became irresistible, at, um, and I, and I I liked the idea of characters at that tipping point. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I also quite consciously made it about survival.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I, in fact, I had a I had a. Um, there was a d- sort of I had d- conflicting ideas from my UK editor and my US editor. Um, my US editor was uh, when the f- my first draft um, had the massacre in, the, in, the, in it already, but it had the journey out to the marshes was very skeletal mm-hmm. at that point. and um, he said it should end with the massacre. It should be a, a very short novel a novella. And it should end with the massacre, and um, and I was so glad that my mm-hmm. British editor said she disagreed, mm-hmm. because I was already quite attached to the Yankel character, yes. and um, and I know the, the you know the reason why my US editor made that comment was because the journey out to the marshes was too skeletal. it was underwritten, I hadn't developed the character mm-hmm. enough, he was still too much in my head and not on the page. Um, but uh, I'm glad I had the reinforcement of my British editor, who, with whom I had more conversations about Uncle, and um, so she, she said, "No, go ahead and, and write them. You know, write what you're wanting to write," um, because she thought I could make it work. And it was very much I, um, through writing Uncle, I, I was, felt I was exploring ideas of what it took to survive. And in a way, I can understand that you think it's bleak because it also it takes um, anger, and a lot of his courage comes from his being a teenage rebellious. I'm not going to listen to anyone, character, and um, he survives because he will not let Yasiel put them out. Yeah. Not just by being, you know, his little brother survives by being little and appealing and cute. But Yonkel survives because he's too angry mm. to um, to allow himself mm. to be put out.
0: Yeah, perhaps because maybe the wrong choice of word is, well. I, I, I think it's the physicality of it mm. that, you, that you create. I mean, it is. You feel cold. Old,
1: absolutely. It, it is the, a horrible the squelching through the mud, and, and it's, it's it.
0: just so, mm-hmm. yeah, I think it perhaps, it's more that mm. reaction. A I mean, sort of it's a physical reaction. It was was also, mm. let's
1: face it, a very bleak time. Yeah. So you know, uh, I think you really capture that. Mm. <laughs> yeah. But the, um, the what I found in my research was that the very few people who survived, uh, Jewish people who survived, were children, and so many of them survived. Uh, through conversion, mm-hmm. through being hidden as Christian children. And of course, that's um, a double edged sword as well, because it's uh, you are physically you survive, but you also survive as something different. You've lost something so you've sort of lost something in the process. Mm-hmm. So maybe Yankal hasn't, because he's old enough to have a sense of his identity before the Nazis came. But Momek, if you think Momek, he's so little that him being taken in um, and raised then as a, as a marsh boy, that's will all he l- he'll, he'll know, he consciously know. Will he remember, will he remember anything parents? else? Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: That's fascinating. I suppose the one burning question now then is what, what is your next novel? to what are you working on now?
1: Um, I am in very early stages of reading and thinking but um, I'm very drawn to write about um, the Caribbean mm. in the 1600s and I'm looking at characters who've come from Britain and from um, well I suppose from Africa, but via South America, just because of the history of it, um, and are on an island, it's an unnamed island, it's sort of based on Barbados, but it's mm. an unnamed island, and um, this is at a point where um, Britain was colonising, or England, actually it's England at the time, uh, Was Cromwell was very keen on colonising, and it's partly, there's a sort of millennial um, Wish to create a new heaven and a new earth. You know there was that sort of very religiously inspired zeal um, to to make a new um, a new human, actually in lots of ways. Uh, But of course, making that work economically (laughs) meant um, domination of other humans. And I'm interested that again, it's a sort of tipping point because it's not. Um, slavery was not established as a practice yet; it was very new, and so the the people who I'm writing about, the white um, British people I'm writing about, are either there as indentured servants or as people who uh, will become slave owners. So they, what does it do to you to be an owner, okay. and what does it do to you to be owned as well? So, and and the idea of this this. Unnamed island is a sort of neutral territory, and who gets to own that island, who gets to be in charge of it.
0: That oh, must be fascinating, <laughs> the
1: research as well. It is, it is a, it's a fascinating period. Yeah. And there were, because um, uh, uh, that, you know, the, the racial fault lines, the class fault lines, and the constantly shifting nature of power and identity, I think, make it really fascinating. What it does to you as a human, basically, mm-hmm. to be in that situation where you are now an owner, um, and then very quickly these owners were outnumbered because they, the, because the profits that you can generate um, rely on you having more and more people that you own. Mm-hmm. And then at some point you realise, actually there are ten times the amount of people that I own than or 100 times, 200, 500 times the amount of people that I own than people of my own colour or of my own class. And then who has the power?
0: In Which in itself is a tipping point. point. Exactly.
1: Yeah. And actually, it, this relies on um, everybody agreeing. And what if people, by force of numbers, don't agree? And there were continual small rebellions. And that's what I'm really interested in. How is it? I suppose then the violence becomes exponential. But it's that before slavery is really established as an institution, how those sort of shifting power relationships are managed, that's and what they do to you as individuals. Yeah. <laughs> well, I look forward to reading it. <laughs>